Welcome to JR Out Loud, the podcast of Jewish Renaissance magazine. I'm Judy Herman, and when I was lucky enough to speak to writer Richard Kalinowski about his play Beast on the Moon, he explained how it was inspired by the story of his ex-wife's grandparents. She's an Armenian-American woman. I was in my early 20s when we were first married. She had grandparents who had survived the massacres wrought by the Turks uh, under cover of World War I. And her grandparents had met under rather awkward circumstances. They had a kind of arranged marriage, and it didn't occur to me to write a play at that time uh, having to do with that material, but I wrote a different play, which I wrote while I was in graduate school, uh, and I put it on a shelf. I actually only got one production, and I, I put it on the shelf for more than 20 years. And then I was prompted to revisit it when I was living in Rochester, New York, and teaching and working there. And I, uh, I had a friend, a couple of people, who uh, suggested that I, for whatever reason, they had volunteered or wanted to read some of my work, and I gave them that one of my first plays, which was that earlier one. And one of them was a kind of mentor to me, and so she suggested I revisit it. And I wasn't necessarily confident about doing that, but I managed to befriend and meet an Armenian man who was a psychiatrist, actually, in Rochester, New York, who had a father who was uh, also a survivor of the Armenian massacres. And and so I, I ended up interviewing him at some considerable length. And the more I interviewed him, the more I got more interested in the idea of the play. And uh, somewhere along the line, in around 1990 or so, a little bit maybe before that, um, I got the notion in my mind that a play centering on uh, a young woman who herself was an orphan by, the, by these terrible events and survives uh, in an orphanage and then is plucked out of that orphanage by an Armenian man. I, I wrote a first scene, uh, which took probably, a, a, um, I don't know, maybe a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I started to look at that first scene, and, and well, it was all very serious, but I was looking at it pretty carefully and, and did several readings of it at um, the small college where I was teaching. And every time I, I started to invite people to come and watch the scene, uh, as and we got actually pretty skilled at presenting it, and that helped me understand more um, about what I had, and then that kind of influenced me to continue. And then finally, there was a, a I finally did a, a, a kind of an amateur production of the play uh, in Rochester, New York, which then ultimately led to uh, it being selected at the Humana Festival in Louisville, Kentucky in 1995. And that's when um, Irina Brooks saw it, and she became sort of a champion of it in Europe and ultimately got it produced at the Battersea in London and then onward to uh, productions in France and then Paris. I can see that she directed the play, so that was a great start to get Irina directing it. Wow. Yeah, and, and obviously it's gone from strength to strength. It's been, I think it's been back to the UK. Now it's coming back again, am I right? How many times has it been here? Oh, yes, of course, it went to Nottingham, didn't it? Uh, and yes. 
and it's been in, translated into Japanese and all sorts of other languages. So it obviously strikes a chord. And I think it's, it's, to me, it's very complex and it's very simple. It's very heartwarming. It's very shocking. So it's a, you know, a play of, of extremes. And, and um, So do you need to talk a bit about how it would chime with, with a Jewish audience? Obviously, we, are, we understand that sort of pain of being a scapegoat. We should explain that the name. It's a beautiful-sounding name, but actually it's quite a, a horrifying name when you know what it's actually means. It's this, this thing where you think all your ills are down to one lot of people. So do you want to just explain the, 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 uh, the eclipse idea? Well, in terms of my sort of scholarship about, um, it required some considerable, my, my natural bent is not necessarily to, to spend lots of time in, in libraries, but I, I, I was able to collect quite a few documents that helped me understand, at least on paper, um, something about the, the lives of Armenians and their struggle. But one of the things that the play attempts to show is that, among other things, if a certain people can convince themselves their superiority over others, and then if that is in effect kind of fed by a kind of unsophisticated ignorance um, where you would actually convince yourself that you could take a gun out and, and, and shoot at the beast on the moon as if you could kill that beast, it occurred to me that that image uh, ultimately was useful in the play. Um, there was a, in 1895, where this kind of event happened, there was an eclipse of the moon. Supposedly some uh, Turkish people came out at night and thought that they, by shooting at the beast on the moon, or their, their notion of a beast on the moon, they could actually rid the shadow on, of the moon, that they, they could somehow shoot, shoot it away, so to speak. And the Armenians uh, have, as you probably know, uh, some considerable tradition of their own um, intellectual community. Um, a lot of those people were destroyed in the massacres. But there are lots of educated, historically lots of educated Armenians, especially in that part of the world, in the section of Turkey. And so they, they saw their sometimes brethren, uh, the Turks as particularly ignorant in that in that environment in that in that episode so I likened that that sort of image or that metaphor I guess I wanted it to kind of represent uh, at least the notion of the overall notion of uh, the hideousness of marching uh, people and, and destroying people and um, marching them into the desert so that they were more or less forced to die. Um, before I actually talk a little bit about the play, why do you think it might be relevant to revive it now? Because here it is, I mean, it's been re constantly revived, so it obviously strikes a chord, you know, as we think about these. There are many anniversaries at the moment. We've been through the First World War anniversaries. Um, we are, we've been through the anniversary of Kristallnacht, the anniversary of the arrival of the Kindertransport from Germany. So there's an awful lot of looking back and thinking, and, of course, Europe is awash with, with refugees and there are many people in this country who would like to see more ch child refugees, for example, allowed in. And yet we've had this referendum because we want to keep people out. And, you know, it's a strange, strange time. So I, I wonder how you feel your play chimes with the times and 
the relevance of reviving it at this moment. I'm a little vexed by it myself, to be honest with you, but as as to why it's not so much that the play is necessarily undergoing a revival, um, although I, I I certainly admit that the, in the last couple of years it's gotten more productions than than in the say the many that's ten or fifteen years prior, but. It's kind of had a steady stream of interest, and I, I, I've sort of had to learn why that is to some degree. I mean, first of all, I didn't have any sort of notion that it would uh, sort of have the kind of endurance that it's had. But the other part of it is that the, the play has been received um, pretty consistently as a play where there a couple of people ultimately find their courage and and find hope um, by the certainly by the end of the play, um, a, a kind of making do with their implicit uh, uh, adoption of this Italian American boy, and uh, a way to to fashion a life against even kind of in some ways for Aram uh, overcoming a lot of his hidebound prejudices, and so I, I mean I think in this environment where across the whole world there's a lot of attention being paid to the circumstances of uh, immigrants. Um, and this play, um, I think, fits with the attention paid, except for that it has, and this is the part that befuddles me somewhat, I, I guess it, it, it really isn't in the sense it's, it's, I think, timely and perhaps timeless, but at the same time it really isn't a picture of the kind of thing that we see in the, like say, in the U.S. border right now. No. Um, that story is they're very, they're very different than than Arm and Seda's story. Um, and then of course Arm and Seda have the uh, the additional huge uh, a cloud over their heads of of what's happened to their families. But I mean, uh, I, I really think the question is really vital and important, and so I appreciate the question. I don't pretend to know, even in sort of the long journey of this play, um, some of my um, Jewish supporters and, and my Jewish friends along the way have had conversations with me about the ways in which this, this play at least gives them reminders and evokes some, some of their own sort of shared cultural memories of, uh, in, you know, among Jewish people. Uh, but they, they recognize, or at least they have so far recognized, that, that this, this is a very uh, peculiar, peculiar, I don't mean odd, but a, a very specific kind mm. of experience that manages to find a measure of universality. Yeah. And I go, again, I go back to the, that universality, I think, is located in, in finally a, a hopeful story, of uh, hopeful play of, about about a marriage and mm. um, and and the other thing that and you may even necessarily ask this question but one of the things that I remember doing all the time was every time I sat down to write or think about this play which was a lot I always thought well I, the, the the paramount thing for me first is to um, work on the dynamics in this marriage and not think of it as some kind of uh, political is the wrong word but some kind of universally political statement about anything. Um, I always wanted it to be a, about kind of a, very much a personal story, but then also a story that represents 
many, many circumstances that have happened to all kinds of different people across the world. Um, the Armenians, I think, um, for me, the, a, a lot of my personal connection to the play is also informed by what's happened with the play and myself since 1995, where I've been invited into a lot of Armenian homes, um, where I've gotten even more education about stories of, of, of relatives, of parents, of aunts and uncles, of children, and, and the way in which Armenians often think of themselves as such a tiny minority in the, in the overall world. And so some of the celebration of the play, you know, has come from, from some of those folks. And um, anyway, so... Mm. Can I ask you um, a little bit, um, obviously, about the actual story of the play? It is a, a very interesting and very painful journey that this couple go on, and the way the focus shifts and the, the weight shifts. Uh, um, you obviously thought very carefully about this idea of your young man being 23 and this girl being what is actually underage now. Yeah. She's only 15, so... You know, from our modern sensibility, it's incredibly weighted. That, and the way he talks to her, you know, I, I, ju just the way we are at the moment where there's a lot of talk about control, you know, he, he has very fixed ideas about, you know, the wife's duty to the husband. And he's constantly quoting, well, particularly, I think it's Timothy from the New Testament to her about, you know, the wife's being obedient. And there's a terrifying thing he says to her that something about, I think he says, my mother didn't speak for the first year of her marriage, and oh, yes, it's, yes. it's incredibly alarming. I mean, I, I, I was quite alarmed. But also, she calls him um, Seta, that's, that's this young 15-year-old bride. She's, she's almost like a male, well, she's a male-order bride, that's exactly what she is. Um, yes. She actually calls him Mr. Tomasian, how do you pronounce that? Yes, Mr. Tomasian, yes, yes, yes. She yes. doesn't use his first name for a very long time, which, of course, makes it all rather beautiful when, when she does. Um, so, and then there's this, she's clutching a doll. I mean, what could be more symbolic of the child in her? I mean, she's practically a kinder transport child. She's only 15. And here she mm. is, she's, she's a bride. And he, poor man, wants to replace, of course he wants to replace a dynasty that's been wiped out back in Armenia in the most terrible of ways, as indeed has her family. And yet she's, well, it's not, whether or not she will turn out to be fertile, we could talk about that. She's too young, um, we would say, wouldn't we? But not too young yeah, in sure Armenia. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so you have to well, think about I, all that. I, um, I can certainly talk about that. I, I sort of got the impression from my, and I, mind you, I interviewed you know, in the process of, of just the genesis of the play, I interviewed many, many Armenian people, both men and women, and then I have a subsequent play that. Um, um, that I wrote, I wrote, written more recently, um, also about uh, having to do with Armenians. Uh, for whatever reason, it's, it's complicated, but for whatever reason, I ended up, I've written three plays that deal somehow with Armenians. And then the rest of my plays are all wildly American. In fact, mm -hmm. the last two have been about American football coaches. But anyway, um, right, okay. <laughs> uh, it was very different, you know, mm. uh, territory. But one of the things that I noticed was um, when when people would talk about their grandparents or about, uh, in some cases, their parents who had survived, the notions of the would-be niceties of 
niceties is maybe the wrong word. I, excuse me, I'm searching for the right word, but the convention of or the, the, the norm, the norms associated with the inappropriateness of uh, plucking such a child out of that environment and then kind of forcing her into a marriage. Um, there's so much in, embedded in, in, in many Armenians, and certainly not all of them, but in many Armenians I met, there's a, a tremendous and a sort of ferocious uh, clinging to their ethnicity. And, and so in the name of doing that, in the name of, of, uh, of, of sealing a, a, um, a, a marriage of survivors, the kind of uh, moral quandary that we might feel today about doing what ARM, in effect, does, uh, it's kind of put aside. And I kind of had to put aside myself some of my own reservations about that and try to concentrate on trying to find the humanity in ARM because one of the challenges, um, which had been addressed really well, I'm, I need to say, but especially in places like Estonia and, uh, and in Russia, um, of, of portraying Aram so that he doesn't come off as, uh, as a beast himself, mm. although there are certainly times where he could easily be understood that way. Um, but I think the ferocity of his, uh, of his mission to fashion a family uh, sort of by hook or by crook, um, uh, it strikes me that that, in the audience's mind, I think it it gives him, I don't say it's a pass so much, but later in the play we start to see some of his vulnerability uh, and he, he's, he doesn't shed all of his uh, kind of self-righteousness, but he relaxes a bit and the audience then can start to feel uh, certainly by the end of the play that's it's been shown to me anyway they start to see them as a at least a functional couple and for me the play was always going to be a love story but it's not going to be a romantic one mm. uh, it's really about finding each each finding the humanity and the other it's really to me in some ways it's really about something I try to do in my own life which is what is it uh, how do I listen to the, this other person who is with me um, and you know now I don't I'm not married now but I've been with the same woman now for 18 years and um, you know to some degree I mean I, without getting too personal about it I I feel like that what what Aram finally learns a little bit about listening and is able to see his wife as someone who has um, her own set of emotions and and I mean it's it's incredibly obvious that that should be the case, but, you know, he's kind of a dense guy and uh, in some ways, um, although I think he's plenty intelligent enough, it's just his emotional growth uh, really is kind of um, in some ways even over overtaken by her because to me, the play has always been about her. Yeah, it comes over that way. I totally, I mean, it's an incredible part, Sita, you know. Um, but it makes him, Aram, incredible as well because you have to have that balance. You know, they're sort of um, opposites, really. Yeah. I mean, you have to have the uptight one. You have to have this wonderful... Um, oh, she's so warm, isn't she? She's so outgoing. And, uh, it, you know, it is down to her in a way that he manages to make the journey, but 
they have to come towards each other. Um, we haven't mentioned at all your your. This is a very beautiful thing that you bring in a young um, ragamuffin orphan. I think of Italian extraction. Um, we see him older. He's not. Is he? Was he, is he Italian originally? Your orphan? Yeah. Well, he's, yes. he's, he's first generation. He's first generation American. Yeah, that's what I mean. A bit of Italian uh, extraction. But, but, yeah. But, you know, but there's a, his his back his exact background. Is a bit murky. He, he of course, reveals it, uh, some of it on, on later in the play, the second act. But that I like to I thank you for using that word for ragamuffin because uh, he, his role in the play. I, I mean, one of the reasons the play I think is, uh, is done as well as it has is that there was a much longer version of the play where he had. Um, I really needed to learn about how to edit. Um, by writing this play as well, and one of the things I did was, I, I cut probably close to an hour out of it. Well done, minutes. you. You know what? I write plays too, so I know where you're coming from, and it it really is lean. And I think that it probably has the impact it has because you've done what you've done. So I mean, oh. it's all that. When I say ragamuffin, he's this poor street urchin, isn't he? But he, to me, he's immediately sympathetic, and you can see that he's. Important. I mean, you can sort of see which way it's going to go. That there has to be a. She can't have children. I don't think that's going to be a big secret. Um, uh, but they have to make a new family together somehow. And so, so he's sort of the leaven, isn't he? In in the dough of the play, like the yeast that allows everything to rise in the play, so that it can. Oh yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, um, in a way, the he's he's probably. Uh, he, the character himself, is actually there's there's a little bit of a stroke there of um, invention on my part because uh, his character was much more closely made up out of um, I won't say out of whole cloth but kind of out of a combination of uh, my my own self when as a boy and some oh. people that I you know some people I grew up with and and so I sort of had to invent him. Um, is a combination of uh, sort of a lot of people, and uh, the the character of Seta, I didn't have a real specific model for her, nor did I have Aram, but I had several models for um, for the two for the two of them uh, from you know taken from real life, and and for him I uh, it it really sort of was a combination of my personal experience and mm. just the notion that. The contrast, uh, his American impulses, to me, were kind of interesting. I mean, I learned and enjoyed kind of writing him because um, he 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 actually was much even more antic than he is in the play now. He, he uh, I, I kind of went wild with him for a while there, mm. and then I and then I I sort of settled him down a, a bit just so that we could he could fit into the play. It's very symbolic that you make Aram into a, a photographer. I think you know there is this symbol that runs all the way through it that he's got these headless portraits of his murdered family and he wants to replace them. But it is for photography, it, looking at old photographs is so much a part of what, well, it's what, obviously, I bet, obviously Armenians do it, Jews do it, anybody who's lost people in the old country, even just left people, or even people if you haven't lost anybody, you know, um, it, the lost generations and those old portraits staring out from the old days, you know, when you when sure. you had to go to a photographer to have your photograph taken, um, it's it's a highly symbolic thing, and we can we can all buy into that. I mean, I can 
feel that coming off the page, and I presume when you go and see it, presumably some set designers give you, you know, photo, you you get to see some of these headless portraits and all the rest of it. But it's it's a, again, it's a very potent metaphor, isn't it? A very potent image. Yes, and that was a bit of good fortune. There's a an organization in the U.S. Uh, centered outside of Boston uh, in Watertown, uh, Watertown, Massachusetts. It's called uh, uh, Project Save, and it's 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 like a museum, but it's also a an active organization which tries to preserve photographs from uh, uh, Armenian history. And I became friends with a woman who founded it in I don't know, roughly around 1985 or something. And she recently retired, but she's still connected to it. And they have this, um, and I've been there. They have a, a just a, a massive collection of categorized and all kinds of, of, of photos. And the photo that is called for in the play is uh, is a result of of their work. And fortunately, they're able to find what turned out to be a sort of a perfect photo for me. Mm. Can you just, um, there's an awful lot of quoting of the Bible going on in it, which, um, from, again, from the observant Jew will thoroughly enjoy it, almost like a duel between um, husband and wife, throw, shooting proverbs backwards and for, forward. Yeah. A lot of our, yeah. the very famous passage, which starts a woman of worth who can find her prices above rubies, which is supposed to be about the ideal wife. And there's, there's a lot of, you know, that gets quoted so much, so... That's something where I think any you know body Jewish going to see it will be hugging themselves. But it is fascinating the way they both pick up on that to sort of it is quite literally a duel. And there are other proverbs that get used in the duel and other bits of both the Old and occasionally the New Testament. So, um, what were you thinking there with 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 that? Were you just thinking these were people of the book of books? You know that because well, obviously they're Christians. The um, I had oh this goes back even to um, my ex-wife uh, my ex-wife's family and and her relatives uh and i had spent some time going to uh, uh armenian um, churches there was a certain sect and we certainly have this in other parts of uh, you know various various religions we have uh, here in and in britain as well but just a kind of clinging to the perceived wisdom that comes from the bible and and I just thought it would be interesting to see what would happen if uh, Aram was trying to kind of steer his life in some sort of literal way with um, a, a, perhaps an over-dependence on um, his understanding of the Bible and um, and sort of standing behind it as a, a bit of a, in his, in his case, uh, a reminder of, of, what, of the reinforcement of his fairly narrow notion of what uh, relations are supposed to be between a man and a woman, and then also just out of respect for his, his understanding, at least, of out of respect for his father. So uh, the use of the Bible, for me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not remotely even close to being any kind of scholar of, of the Bible, um, uh, either the Old or the New Testament, but... Um, I was stirred in that direction also by this gentleman I met in Rochester when I, and I think it was his father that um, influenced him in his understanding of the of the Bible, and I think that was part of it. So, um, I, I managed to find a, there's a that that scene in particular tends to get a lot of attention from the audience. They're a little 
when the audience just starts to figure out that there's a little combat going on there. Mm, I love it. <laughs> um, they act, they, yeah, they also they also find they find the levity in it as well, mm. I, which of course I'm really glad about. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm always was always concerned about was, you know, how can I make this scene not just about dread mm. um, and terrible memories, but how can I make this scene actually sort of contemporary for what's going on with them, but the, the two of them, and also where where might some humor, you know, evolve in, in this play. Without try, without trying to make it into a joke, I didn't want it to be jokey either, um, uh, which is uh, not, not like a sitcom or something, um, you know what I mean? I don't think it's like that. No, I just think, you know, it's it's wonderful because you see her giving as good as she gets, and I really like that. And as I say, for those of us who recognize, well, everybody, I think most people recognize the Genesis quotes. But, you know, it, it, it is lovely. The whole, it, it, I, mean, I really can't wait to see it. Okay, well, I need to bring this to a close, I guess. It's been such a joy to speak to you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you again for calling. Okay. Thank you very much. God bless you then. Goodbye. God bless you. Bye-bye.